passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What does this all mean to you, bro? Let me tell you something. I walked into this building and watched the heavyweight disasters from the beginning. McDonald's a piece of shit. Miocic's a piece of shit. DC, I'm coming for you, motherfucker. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our UFC 226 post show. It is John Pollock here, along with my good pals, Phil and Ziggy who are back again this month. Ziggy, so glad that you could join us. You were a, a late addition to this show, so thank you very much. No problem. Always glad to be here. And Phil, how are you tonight? I'm superb and super <laughs> excited to be here. Uh, Phil and Ziggy uh, are just learning that uh, the next time I go out with them, I will be buying them drinks, as, as many as they want, uh, out of sheer guilt on, on my behalf. So thank you guys for joining me at this very late hour as we dive into uh, UFC 226. This was the culmination of International Fight Week and lots of buzz coming out of this show, primarily from the main event, probably not the heavyweight fight, second from the top. Uh, the big news, Daniel Cormier is a two-division champion. Brock Lesnar is back, and it is being reported by Jeremy Botter at Bleacher Report that Brock Lesnar has quietly rented the USADA testing pool about three weeks ago. And Ziggy, it looks like he will be fighting at Madison Square Garden in November. Do you like this idea? Um, yeah, why not? I mean, I think it'll be entertaining. Um, I think there's still that question with Brock Lesnar just because he's such a... Uh, a specimen like he's just a beast literally and uh, i i think uh the promos are going to be great because i know dan cormier is a huge wrestling fan too so it'll be a very interesting fight for sure now phil you were watching tonight's show with a group of people so what was the reaction like in the room uh to brock lesnar's involvement on this show and everything that happened after daniel cormier was given the microphone well, uh, it started even before the main event began when you first saw Brock Lesnar on camera in the uh, arena. So you already kind of got the sense that he could make an appearance after the main event was over. And he, he sort of walked over to Joe Rogan and told him that he wanted to be on his podcast. And that got me super excited. And, and so definitely the room, I, I was in a, with a group of about uh, 12 people. And, and yeah, it definitely heightened the excitement for the main event. And, and then after the main event, when Daniel Cormier calls Brock Lesnar to come into the cage, it, it, it definitely uh, amped it up. Uh, you know, Brock Lesnar comes in and shoves Cormier hard, and then he, he cut uh, a WWE style promo, which I was with some jujitsu practitioners, 
and 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 some of them were not a big fan of that uh, style of promo, so it, it kind of left a little bittersweet uh, note on the evening. But ultimately, everybody's excited that Brock Lesnar is going to fight again, and uh, everybody's going to watch it. So now you mentioned uh, twelve people uh, showing up for for this show. I know you watch with like a group for for most of the pay per views. Was this a uh, a larger number than usual. Do you think this pay per view had uh, a lot more interest than your your typical show this year? Um, it it was a larger group than normal, and I would say that this pay per view had more interest. I'm not so sure that it was specifically for the title fight or any particular reason on the card, other than. It just feels like it's been a long time since a big fight card. So uh, the uh, the crowd, I feel, just was like happy to get together and, and watch a big fight card together. Um, so that that was what it was more about. So Ziggy, coming out of this, it looks like uh, Brock Lesnar getting a heavyweight championship fight in 2018. How do you feel about that? Um, I think. Uh... <laughs> It's interesting just because with, you know, with all what happened with Mark Hunt and, um, you know, the the drug testing and all that, um, I think there'll be a lot of people in the heavyweight division that'll be upset. But I think in terms of, um, you know, pay-per-view buys and everything, I think it'll do well for the UFC. It's going to do enormous. I think that uh, you look at this year for the UFC, certainly not a popularity peak. Uh, they... They need big fights. Uh, it's going to anger a lot of people that someone who has not had a legitimate victory since uh, International Fight Week of 2010 will be fighting next for a title. Uh, but that said, I mean, there, there's no doubt that this is going to spark a ton of interest, especially to headline Madison Square Garden, which is where it is being uh, rumored to be taking place from. Uh, but uh, one other note just before we uh, dive into all of the fights uh, earlier this week. We lost the Max Holloway-Brian Ortega fight. Uh, I was really looking forward to this fight. Phil, did this uh, affect your interest at all in this show, or was this enough that this main event kind of carried the interest for the show? I was interested in this show uh, regardless. Uh, The the card was great, top to bottom, particularly the main card. So I I was okay with it. I mean, I definitely wanted to see the fight. Uh, I've... I've been following Brian Ortega's career even before he was in the UFC, and I had an opportunity to meet him before he got to the UFC. And so I've been following him and was excited to see him get his title opportunity. Uh, so it was a disappointment to hear that that fight wasn't happening. Uh, but the, the fight, it's the the card itself was still of an interest to me, and I wasn't too disappointed that I, we were losing another five round fight because these cards go on so long, and and uh, East Coast viewers, it's it's painful. So so from that perspective, that selfish side of me, I was like, okay, we'll save it for a main event for another time. Yeah, this one actually was not. Horrendous. I thought we would be starting this much, much later. And other than a, a twelve-minute screw up on my part, uh, this is relatively early as compared you're, to you're breaking the, the fourth wall, John. <laughs> you're breaking the fourth wall, John. Dead cool, John here. 
All right. Well, let's uh, let's not waste any time. Let's dive into this uh, now. Eleven fight card uh, that we sat through. Uh, starting on Fight Pass uh, featured two fights. Emily Whitmire defeated Jamie Moyle by unanimous decision on scores of twenty nine twenty eight from all three judges. And then Dan Hooker got his fourth victory in a row, stopping Gilbert Burns at two twenty eight of the first round. Probably the most notable part was from the first fight where Emily Whitmire had her own angle going on with training partner Vinny Magalesh, who was in the corner of her opponent, Jamie Moyle, because Magalesh and Moyle have a history together that she was one of his students. They don't train together any longer, I believe, but in the lead-up to this fight, Whitmire had asked him repeatedly if he would be cornering her, and he said, I would never corner against you. And then they got to the arena today, and there's Vinny Magalesh in the corner of Jamie Moyle. So Emily Whitmire shared this story to Joe Rogan and the entire world and told Vinny Magalesh that he can go fuck himself. And in a strange way, this nondescript strawweight fight, I think, <laughs> is going to get some, some modicum of focus uh, on Emily Whitmire here just because of this bizarre uh, post-fight with her training partner. Something tells me this isn't the first time that Vinny Magalesh has been told to go fuck himself. <laughs> the latest, then, is of Emily Whitmire. Uh, and a good victory, I thought, uh, for Dan Hooker as well on the, on the fight pass prelims. Uh, and beating, a, you know, a quality guy in Gilbert Burns. Uh, that takes us to the televised prelims. Up first was Max Griffin taking on Curtis Melender. Uh, I had Griffin winning the first round and then... Millinder came back in the second and third. Uh, he had been throwing these flying knees in the opening round without much success, but uh, landing a number of them to the body in the second. And then in the final 90 seconds of the fight, um, that's when he really took control of that round, rocked him with a big knee. And yeah, I scored a 29-28. Diggy, uh, what were your thoughts on this fight? Kind of a decent affair here from these two welterweights yeah i thought it was a good fight as as back and forth uh some good action on there i scored it pretty much the same as you as well uh but i really liked the prelims i thought the prelims had some pretty good fights uh phil any thoughts on the on the, on this fight did you score it any different no i didn't score it any different uh but uh just as a note you know m- Millender, this is his second fight in the octagon. He defeated Max Griffin. And yeah, it's the first fight on the prelims, but Max Griffin is a quality opponent. In his last fight, he defeated main card fighter Mike Perry. So uh, this kind of tells you that uh, Millender is definitely somebody to watch. And uh, I do look forward to seeing him uh, in another fight soon. Then we went to uh, Drakkar Close taking on Lando Venata, which on paper sounded like a lot of fun and turned into a pretty good fight. Um, Close had a very effective game plan, I thought, uh, at the beginning, uh, where he was able to time Venata's spinning elbow very accurately and catch him with a right hand. He did this several times in the fight, and Venata's lead leg just got mangled in this fight by by Close. And uh, I don't really know if any of the rounds were all that close, pardon the pun. Uh, maybe the third was Venata's best round, uh, but I still gave all three to uh, Drakkar close. And that's how the judges had it, 30-27, and he improves to 9-1-1, and which is a great record to have for a fighter, I think. Uh, Phil, I, your, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think you nailed it with uh, the comment that it was a really effective game plan. Close came in there knowing what Venata's strengths were, 
And he was very effective at uh, just chopping down the lead leg with a, sort of a calf kick throughout the fight. And, and he timed it beautifully. And there was even a point in the third round where he sort of pointed to it and he wanted uh, Venata to react to it. And it looked like he was going to do a counter because he'd been hitting that strike so much. So it was a very effective game plan and he controlled the fight. And Venata was game in this fight. You know, he 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 brought it with a lot of attacks, but Close was just a step ahead of him at at all points. And you know, Close's only defeat in MMA is to David Taymor. So it, you know, he's got a pretty impressive uh, record right now. So I definitely would like to see him get a nice step up in competition. I'm not gonna lie, I was totally cheering for Lando because his name is Lando. So, yeah. <laughs> well, but, he, he had a bit of a war uh, here, uh, but I don't know if uh, he came out the star. Uh, Rafael Sunsau, Rob Font was up next. Uh, poor Rafael Sunsau. This guy's on this incredible run, and I don't know if he's any closer to a title fight, but, man, if you have – this guy was pleading for one afterwards. Um, <laughs> First round was uh, probably the closest of the two, and it was a Sun Tzu essentially just, you know, figuring out his rhythm and, and timing font strikes. Uh, still did enough to win the round just off this counter combination that dropped font. And then in the second, that's when he pretty much pulled away. He had a takedown immediately at the start of the second round. Uh, font did scramble to his feet, uh, but a Sun Tzu, uh, you know, wasn't overwhelming him with strikes, but the ones he did throw, um, he was landing a several combinations uh, in the third round. Font was just taken down and controlled uh, throughout the entire round. Never threatened to finish, but an easy uh, 30-27 for me uh, on my scorecard for a Sun Sao. And then afterwards, he's interviewed by Joe Rogan. He says that he should be getting a title fight, but he knows that personalities are what sticks out, and it's going to be a longer road for a challenger. And he says, what do I have to do? And he says, what, do I need to curse? And he said, I'm about to cry. And he acknowledges, I know I'm not finishing people, but I am winning fights. So you got to give the man points for perspective on his placement and why he's there. But man, this guy is, you know, he's a top flight bantamweight, but he doesn't seem like he's anywhere closer to a bantamweight title fight. And yet he has a win over Marlon Marias, who I could totally see leapfrogging him. Oh, definitely. Marias is... Definitely getting the next title shot after uh, what goes down. This, this so, is the Brock Lesnar doctrine that we can apply to many people on this card, folks. Well, I mean, to be fair, I'm not even saying it's wrong. Said, I'm like, that's what the business is. Like, that is well, that's how they operate. In this case, Asensio also does have a loss to the champion. So it, there is this, and 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 that Mariah's fight was. A cl- very close one. So it, it, it's not like it's some outlandish thing that Marias gets a step ahead of him, in, in my view. But uh, I think Asensau, I think you give him a f- – I, I think the fight to make for him next that makes sense is Dominic Cruz. Um, you, you put him in there with Dominic Cruz and the winner of that fight gets whoever – ends up after Marias. Of course, a lot of things can happen in the division. You know, two title fights away is an eternity, but I think that's what makes the most sense. I also think he loses to Cruz, though. Well, who knows? Cruz has been out for a while, and it's, you know, that's why you fight. 
It's yeah. a good fight to make. It's a, you do have options at, at bantamweight. I, I just with a Sun Sao, it just that's a guy who's going to have to go overtime and just be in a position where there are no other challengers when they they grant him one. Um, Paulo Costa, who probably is not going to have the same uh, impediments, uh, took on Uriah Hall. Um, this was just a wild fight in the first. Uh, it was all over the place. Uh, Costa was pressuring him early with these kicks to the body. And then Hall just starts attacking him with his jab. And he was beating the hell out of him with this jab. At one point, he just busted uh, Costa's mouth open. And I had Costa winning the first round. In the second, uh, what happened was uh, he came out and connected with a right hand. And it led to Hall taking him down. But they got right back up. And he stunned Hall with a strike, swarmed him, and... Followed with a jab, Hall is trying to recover on his feet, and they both just threw these big shots, and Costa dropped him, and it was over. And Uriah Hall just looked like a defeated man at the end of this. 238 of the second round with uh, Paulo Costa winning by knockout and improving to 12-0. and It's his fourth victory in the UFC, and this guy's certainly on the fast track at 185 pounds. Phil. Uh, I definitely agree that Costa's on the fast track. He def he needs to fight somebody in. Uh, I think he's ranked top ten. He might be already he, up there. He was ten, and I think Uriah Hall was nine. Yeah, so I mean, I, I guess he just yeah. You need to find him somebody uh, really high up there, and yeah, he could definitely headline an event in Brazil. Uh, he I, he's already made the effort to learn some English. He he was able to answer the post fight interview. Uh, himself, and he did a pretty competent job with that. Uh, he's a super exciting fighter. He looks like some type of freak science experiment, but uh, you know, in the modern UFC, that's okay. And uh, so, I, I definitely think he has a lot of potential for uh, headlining cards in the future. And yeah, within a year, I would not be surprised if he's fighting for a title. I could see him getting someone like the level of a Jacare next. I was going to say that too. Yeah. That might be, be sl- uh, somewhat declining, and because I really would, I know a lot of people coming out of this weekend are going to suggest uh, Paulo Costa and Yoel Romero. Uh, not Yoel Romero. I was going to say Israel Adesanya, which I really don't like that idea of these two really hot prospects uh, fighting at this stage of their careers. I think they could have that fight, and it means a whole lot more uh, two years from now. Um, but you've got yeah, some, I, yeah. Those I, two I, I are two of the big stories coming out of this weekend. I agree. You want you want to build both of those into e- either of those guys could be in a title fight. So you want to get both of them there in some capacity. But uh, I I as I kind of already gave away my pick would be the Yoel Romero fight. Um, that that one I could see because it, it just has fireworks written all over it, and they both look like freaks of nature. So I, I think you could do a lot with that fight. Yeah, I wouldn't. Mind, I wouldn't mind like Jacare or Branch or even Branson anywhere in that. There, I think Yoel's a little too high just yet, but yeah. Well, also now the the middleweight title is kind of on ice, at least for the rest of this year, because uh, Robert Whitaker and Kelvin Gaslam are coaching the next season of Tough, which starts filming next week, and then they're going to fight uh, sometime this year. They have not given out a date, um, so that would mean whoever it kind of gets to the front of the line as a challenger, you're probably looking at at least one more fight and would not get an opportunity till April, May of next year. So 
Now come, John. You know, we could do at least two interim title fights before that. <laughs> oh, stupid me. I'm not even thinking right now of how we could, we could uh, appease everybody here. Interim titles for everybody. Maybe that's Paulo Costa's next fight. So let's move on to the pay-per-view. And I don't really make picks ahead of time, but I will fully admit that if I had uh, posted picks, I think I would have looked awful at, at some of these because I think in every case, I probably would have picked the opposite person. Starting with Khalil Roundtree Jr. and Gokhan Saki, which went a minute 36, where Roundtree connected with a left hand that sent Saki into orbit and then just plummeted down to the mat and he was finished with hammer fists. And after the, after the fight, Joe Rogan interviewed him stating, I'm paraphrasing, but you know, if, if you were going to win, many thought you would do it on the ground and Khalil Roundtree was having none of this and there was going to be no disrespect for his striking. And he just started yelling, let's go, let's go. This was a Khalil Roundtree that was very excited um, at this win, and good for him. This was easily the biggest win of his career. I literally wrote my notes was Roundtree punched him to another planet. That was my notes for that. That was that was a phenomenal punch. Oh man, like Gokansaki, like you saw the the life creep out of him. There were a, a handful of those on this show, including uh, Uriah Hall, who. And Gokan Saki, who, man, they just uh, evaporated in front of our very eyes. Yeah, Roundtree, uh, he, he did a really good game plan. Like, he just kept himself mobile on his feet. And, like, Saki, look, he looked calm, but he, he looked very – he was trying to get, like, really technical. And then Roundtree just punched him. <laughs> yeah, Rogan and, and Dominic Cruz were very leery of Khalil Roundtree's game plan of staying in the pocket with uh, Gokan Saki. But, um, yeah, this was – very impressive victory. A- anything to add, Phil? I mean, this was a pretty open and shut kind of fight, but for yeah. Khalil Roundtree, um, I-, I would say a minor upset. I mean, Gokan Saki is not lighting the world on fire in mixed martial arts, but I think losing in this this kind of fashion was surprising. Yeah, I, I agree that the fashion was surprising, but it was also a very quick fight. Like, it, it, not a lot happened before the knockout. So, uh, uh I, I don't really have too much to add other than big win for Roundtree. Like, let's see him climb up the ladder. And it, to me, it doesn't really hurt the Gokan Saki story. He's still new to MMA. So, like, let's let's find him another stylistic fight that makes sense for him. And, and I'd be glad to see him in there again. And props to him, too, because it was 13 years in between MMA fights between number one and two. And here he was back in under six months between <laughs> fights number two and three. So really dedicated now. Michael Chiesa and Anthony Pettis. Uh, Michael Chiesa missed weight and announced that he was done at 155 after this fight with Anthony Pettis. And apparently so, because the Michael Chiesa I saw in the second round here was not the Michael Chiesa I've seen in the past. I thought, you know, nine times out of ten, Michael Chiesa just storms the Anthony Pettis of 2018. Instead, uh, I saw two completely different fighters than I was expecting uh, to show up in this. In the first round, uh, Chiesa did get a number of takedowns. Uh, Pettis was landing some strikes, uh, did catch the leg of Chiesa uh, and placed him on his back. Um, Very close first round. And then in the second, Pettis dumped him with this right hand, dropped Chiesa, 
He went for a guillotine unsuccessfully, and then he was on his back and was able to lock on a triangle with an arm bar, and Chiesa tapped at 52 seconds. And seeing Michael Chiesa uh, be submitted in this way, man, I I was very surprised by this outcome. And an enormous victory, I thought, for Anthony Pettis, who his career desperately needed this kind of a victory. Yeah, definitely. I thought uh, like uh, Kiesa started off really well in the first round, and he, uh, you know, showed his size size advantage. But I thought Pettis showed a lot of heart uh, working in his jiu-jitsu in the first round, and he started coming back at the end of the first round. And then, um, well, we all saw what happened at the end. So that was a big win for him, like you said. I was uh, happy for him. Phil, were you impressed with the performance of Pettis even before the submission? Did he did he show you enough that could suggests that he has um, more to offer at, at lightweight um, beyond just his performance. I, I do think he has more to offer at lightweight. Uh, I'm not sure how much he has to offer at the top of the division. Uh, it was impressive in the sense that it looked like Kiesa was bullying him for about the first three and a half, four minutes of the first round. Um, and then Pettis, you know, when he when he got to his feet, he was able to open up with some good shots to the body, some good straight punches. And so I think that just put Kiesa on the back foot and it, it just made him a little bit too eager, maybe with the with the aggressiveness in the ground game, which is what set up the submission. And I think that it has kind of been the Anthony Pettis story with the submissions. He he. It, in his pa- in the past, he hasn't really like set up submissions in a traditional way. They've often come off of his striking, and so it was reminiscent of some of his more historical performances. So I thought he did a good job, but do I see him competing with Kevin Lee or Habib Nurmagomedov? Not really. So, um, and this is really his first win in quite a while. So. Uh, you know, let's let's find him an appropriate opponent now. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure who that would be, um, but uh, I it, it's a good win for him. It's nice to see him back on the winning track. Yeah, and consider this: that um, Anthony Pettis announced afterwards that he was uh, getting his black belt after this fight. So submitting someone very tough in Michael Chiesa, and this is a guy who has submission wins now over Michael Chiesa, Charles Oliveira. Gilbert Melendez and Benson Henderson. Like that's a pretty impressive list of guys to submit. Mm-hmm. So anyway, absolutely, absolutely. We'll see, we'll see where uh, where Anthony Pettis goes next. From there, we move on to Paul Felder, Mike Perry. This was uh, first of all a fight that wasn't even happening as of a week ago. Paul Felder got moved from his fight with uh, James Vick, so he got moved up a week as. Uh, James Vick is now fighting Justin Gaethje in August. Uh, And then these two got placed onto the main card when the Max Holloway-Brian Ortega fight fell out. And these two had a war for three rounds. Uh, At some point in the fight, Paul Felder believes he broke his arm, continued going forward and throwing strikes with the arm, which was insanity. Um, Mike Perry, who was working with uh, the Jackson Winklejohn camp, uh, you could see a lot of adjustments to him as well. Um, a bit more patience. He was settling in using that oblique kick that Joe Rogan instantly found amusing that he has now adopted into his arsenal after one camp at Jackson's. Uh, 
first round, I thought Mike Perry won here, even though this was a really close round. I just thought the damage he did with that that elbow uh, to to Felder um, won him the round for me. And then in the second, Perry just lifted and slammed Felder down and even executed a German suplex at one point. And then in the third, um, Felder had been cut open uh, above his eye, had to be checked on but continued and was just uh, covered when this fight ended. Um, I scored the fight for Mike Perry uh, 30-27, but I don't think many had that score. Most had it 29-28. How did you score this, Phil? Uh, I had it 30-27 as well. Uh, That I don't think tells the story of how close this fight was because it was a very competitive fight. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I was really impressed with – uh, Perry's game plan in this fight. He was more patient. He threw more kicks and he went for about three or four takedowns, getting two or three of them in this fight. And I, I think it's important to note it's you don't have to get your takedowns for them to be effective. You're just opening up more options. So your your opponent has to make more reads on you. And I think having that variety in his game plan is what allowed him to control this pay, the pace. And, and yeah, it, I think it was a big problem that Felder had that arm broken. It, I'm pretty sure it was in the first half of the first round. He threw some type of spinning elbow that landed, I think, to the top of, of uh, Mike Perry's head. And I'm pretty sure that's what broke his arm. And so, you know, he was fighting at a disadvantage from that point. But he was super game throughout the whole fight, and it was super entertaining. I I just think that Mike Perry fought a slightly smarter, sharper fight. Ziggy, uh, how did you score the fight? Um, I scored it uh, 30-27 as well. I thought the first round could have possibly gone the other way. I don't know why one of the... Judges scored it to uh, 29-28 Felder. I thought that was surprising, but we all know how MMA or judges go sometimes. But, um, yeah, it was a good fight. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, close spinning elbows and uh, forearms and everything like that. So uh, it was a good fight. I liked it. It was great. And uh, I thought they could have possibly stopped it with um, with all the blood happening in there. But I'm glad they didn't. It was a good fight. Surprisingly, they did not hand out a Fight of the Night award, which I thought this one would get. Instead, they gave out four performance bonuses to Daniel Cormier, Anthony Pettis, Khalil Roundtree, and Paulo Costa. So, Hmm. sucks to be Mike Perry and Paul Felder after that one. All right, guys, (laughs) sit back. Derek Lewis, Francis, and Ganu. The heavyweight fight of all heavyweight fights. All right, before you even say anything, I'm just going to say I am never going to go to a card and like be very excited for fights because the two fights that I was excited the most for one didn't happen and one also technically didn't happen, didn't happen. <laughs> so that's what I'm going to say about that all right this started and to say the first round was uneventful would be an understatement uh lewis won this round by default because wait wait, wait wait hold up did the did the they had a first round? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, this uh, they had any rounds is uh, a mystery to me. Uh, like this, I'm trying to give you the visual, folks. It would be the equivalent of uh, you playing a, a video game, and the person you're playing against had to go to the bathroom, 
and they're just sta- and their their players just left, and you haven't paused the game yet. That was Francis Ngannou for ninety percent of this fight. He landed one strike in the first round. So at the end of the first, I'm giving this guy the benefit of the doubt that okay, this guy is probably a little over overtly concerned about his conditioning that. He might have to go three rounds here, and he's not. He's going to take a round off. Very risky in a three-round fight, but okay. Then the second round happens, and amazingly, like this round, apparently they each landed four strikes in this round. <laughs> you could very well go 10-10 in this round, and I am I, – I hate 10-10s, but this was that kind of fight where nothing was happening. And then the third, we continue this damn pace. The – the audience have their cell phones up like it's a Bray Wyatt entrance. They're <laughs> chanting fight at them. They're booing all of this. Uh, to Lewis's credit, he was the one that was trying to engage with a guy that just seemed to have no interest in fighting. But uh, well, her, even a bad her fight is a bad had to fight. Stop the fight to to tell him like, hey guys, you guys need to engage. So, like it, it was wild. It, well. Not exactly wild, I suppose, but it was just it was just crazy. Like Herb, nothing happened. Herb Dean legit had if you were gonna score this with aggression and octagon control, Herb Dean may have strategically <laughs> won this fight. It ended uh, everyone booed this fucking thing. This was one of the worst fights. Um I really thought nothing was gonna touch CM Punk and Mike Jackson. Uh and in terms of actual skill set being displayed, that probably is it. But in terms of a of a fight that is being presented to a public to be consumed and completely rejected uh, by means of nothing being delivered, this I, might this might actually top CM Punk and Mike Jackson. I, I actually go on to say, it, for me at least, it is probably the worst fight I've ever seen. Just because the implication of this fight, like you know, the implication of this fight was the winner of this was supposed to go get a title shot. And, like, you know, these guys are supposed to be huge power strikers and everything and nothing. So, you know what happened? happened? They're both getting ready to come down knowing how important this fight is. And they say <laughs> Brock roll up and they say, screw this. We know we're not getting any heavyweight title shot. So let's just bag it. <laughs> like, I'd rather rewatch uh, Kaleeb Starnes versus Nate Marquardt all over again. Because even that was more entertaining than this one. Like, Are you uh, referring to Nate Quarry? Nate Quarry versus Kaleeb yeah, Starnes? Yeah. 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 yeah, I saw that fight live. Yeah. I had a nap. Montreal. <laughs> That's right. Yes, Phil, you were with a, a group. What what was, uh, what was it like for this? Was this the polar opposite was, of Brock telling uh, Daniel Cormier that I'm coming for you, motherfucker? This was yeah. I mean, the, thankfully the card had been entertaining up into this point. Sometimes you get these stinker fights after a bad card, and it really like people get really irritated. But people were definitely pissed off. People were cheering when Herb Dean stepped in. And, and I, I also have to point out that in Ganu's corner, in between the second and the third round, said to him, you're down two rounds to nine. You've got to make something happen here. Let your hands go. So, you know, sometimes the corner gives, you know, vague advice. There was nothing vague here. This was... And Ganu just gun shy, not engaging, uh, and I've got a feeling he's going to be on some fight pass prelims in his next uh, in his next outing, and then it's going to be in like he's going to be fighting in like uh, you know uh, the Philippines or something. 
Yeah, you know what? He looked checked out. Like when he was getting those instructions, like he just wasn't like there. Like I don't know what was going on with him. Like I don't know. Was it, do you think this is more like a he respected the power too much? He was just hesitant just because of losing his last fight. Like he wasn't as confident as he's. I, I, I think I think that's it. I think uh, Dominic Cruz had a great comment uh, at some point. Maybe it was in the third round where he said he he's not he's no longer invincible. He doesn't view himself as invincible anymore. And so even though the last fight, you know, it was a totally different opponent and it was more about the cardio, there there is now doubt. So every strike, there's doubt with it, and and I think that's what it had to do with. Yeah, every I, strike, <laughs> there wasn't that many. <laughs> I'm not re- I'm not ready to write the guy off. Which I mean, Joe Rogan was getting ready to eulogize this man by the by the end of this fight. Um, I, I think his next fight will be pretty indicative of of how how much of a decline maybe he has taken mentally from that <laughs> loss, but. Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes you do see this with guys who are uh, two enormous power hitters that they just uh, negate one another. And this was the extreme example of that. Um, but yeah, this was just a horrendous fight from start to finish. Derek Lewis is technically the winner, and neither guy did themselves any favors. And what a statement it was. They didn't even have a post-fight interview for, for Derek Lewis after this one. I wasn't really that upset with Derek Lewis. Like he, no, I, I thought he was clearly frustrated with a guy that was not going to engage with him. I put much less fault at the feet of Derek Lewis. Yeah, I mean he threw he threw some kicks. He 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 was playing a counter striker role. He went forward, you know, occasionally to. But yeah, and Ganu just re- like he really did not engage. I mean, he would throw a strike and he would land the strike and there'd be no follow-up. There would be no follow-up. You kind of alluded to it. It was like, it was sort of like a street fighter character in like the constant idol animation. Yeah. It's like, or, it's, or it's like the controller got unplugged for a second and the character yeah. just stood there. Yeah. Main event, a much more uh, entertaining affair. Daniel Cormier versus Stipe Miocic for the UFC Heavyweight title and started off, um, Miocic was looking great. He was connecting uh, with Cormier, who was just trying to clinch and just eliminate any kind of distance. Uh, They clinched up against the fence, but then uh, Miocic was just sneaking in strikes, and the size was really notable uh, in just how much taller Miocic was. Cormier fired back with a combination, and then he puts his hand out, and just runs his fingers into Miocic's face and pokes him in the eye. And I didn't catch this uh, in real time. And when they showed the replay, this was up there with one of the more egregious just lack of care of a guy throwing his fingers right at Stipe's face and poking him. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) It was really hard to call this one accidental. This was just totally careless. It's the nicest I can put it. Careless, yet still accidental. Like I don't think he was necessarily intentionally putting his fingers in his eyes, but he certainly wasn't concerning himself 
with his fingers possibly going in his eyes is how I would put it. And yeah, I agree. I, I don't think Daniel Cormier is like a, a dirty fighter per se. I mean, I know I understand he was just trying to kind of catch him and grab him and things like that. But, uh, you know, to what John said, like looking at the replay, it's like he was like trying to slice his eye open. That's what it looked like. I know that's not what he's trying to do, but it, it was pretty bad. But look, look on this particular card where we saw, I mean, what's, What's the downside if you accidentally, you know, nail a guy in the in in the eye with a poke? There's no point deduction. Well, there, I mean, there never is. It's it's not just this card; it's every card. Like, yeah. when is like how often do you see point deductions in MMA? It's very rare. Which which fight was it? Was it, it was the Costa Uriah Hall fight where he yeah. he hit Hall twice? Twice he hit him low, and nothing. So it it's hardly. Unless you have a problem being admonished by the referee, it's like it's very seldom you're going to get a point deduction. So if guys know this, um, I believe I, there's a few eye pokes in that match too. Like if you if you were hard and fast that an eye poke is an automatic point deduction, you would amazingly have a lot of guys closing those fists and not having this. But hey, it's you know, I think it's I think- all in how you enforce it. It, it exactly. It's all in how you enforce it. I think the referees are in a tough spot with the way that the scoring system works, where one point is is so much of the fight that they don't want to get involved that much. They don't want to feel like their point deduction is what makes or breaks the fight. So that they feel like the their hands are tied. And it, 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 you know, it has that negative consequence of reinforcing the bad behavior. So um, unless the scoring changes, I don't think you're, you're going to see any change with the way that refs deal with eye pokes and groin but strikes. I think that's to John's point, though, right? Like you make it so that it is that, uh, you know, that it can cause you a match if you're not careful of what you're you're doing. Right. Because like. You know, there there are matches where you know it happens like three or four times, and like John says, nothing happens. So it's definitely something that should be reviewed. I I think. Well, let's remember we're also talking about a, a sport that no longer has the same rules depending on which state you're in. So That's baby true. steps. The fight resumed after they checked on Stipe's eye, and they were clinching in the center. And then Cormier rocked him with this right hand over the top that dropped Miocic. And Cormier finished him with ground and pound at 433 of the first round. Got the knockout victory. Um, this is probably going to be the, the win that is going to be most remembered for Daniel Cormier's entire career. I think this is going to cement his legacy, winning this championship. He's always been the, the runner-up the bridesmaid, and finally he won an undisputed title that no one can deny that this guy is the top heavyweight in the sport. And beating, arguably, you could make the argument, one of, if not the best heavyweights, given the run that Stipe Miocic has had. So, uh, historical, if nothing else, this fight. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, uh, it's exactly what it is, right? You know, the John Jones stuff is past him now. And, you know, I always said if Stipe was going to lose, it was going to be the old punch because he, he always takes damage, and that time he couldn't take it, I guess. Phil, what was the reaction like? Uh, uh, like this had to have been a, viewed as an upset by most. Uh, it 
it, I guess it was viewed as an upset, n- not so much in that Daniel Cormier came out victorious, but more the way it happened. Yeah. So I, I, I sort of saw the, fu- the way that the fight played out was the opposite of how I saw it, thought it could happen. I thought it's either going to be Stipe lands a close short shot and knocks him out or Cormier is able to control the underhooks and win the wrestling and grind him out for five rounds. But it was actually Stipe who controlled the underhooks in the first uh, two minutes of this fight and controlled the wrestling and even got a brief takedown on Cormier. And then the KO came from Cormier landing a short uh, short shot uh, off of the clinch. So it was very impressive. Uh, the crowd was super enthusiastic about it, especially after the nap that, that we had uh, <laughs> prior to it. And, uh, yeah, it, it definitely cements... Uh, I mean, I think even before this fight even occurred, Cormier was in, in that very small circle of... Uh, elite fighters that you can consider the greatest of all time. And this just cements that place. I mean, he was already a hall of famer to me. He continues to be a hall of famer and two division champion. Um, and it, it really, I mean, I know what we're still probably going to talk about the Brock Lesnar thing, but it really does set up that trilogy fight. You know, that one last hurrah. Can, can he, can he finally get over that John Jones hump? Uh, I, I think that heavyweight. Do it at heavyweight, yeah. Uh, like, like if you could, if you could script it where he fights Brock Lesnar in November, and you can do that retirement fight against John Jones sometime in early 2019. Uh, that that has like that is enormous. Those two fights, you can bank that money and live off the interest uh, that you will make off those two fights to end your career. Yeah, I agree, and and I think everybody wants to see those fights. I, I think especially after the last John Jones fight, like it was a decisive win for John Jones, now tainted by the drug uh, revelations. But prior to that head kick, it was a super competitive, exciting fight, and, and you just wonder if if there's a way for for Cormier to to figure out. If, even at 39 years old, if he can figure out a way to uh, shore up those differences. So after the fight, Cormier is celebrating. The place is going crazy. And Daniel Cormier tells Brock Lesnar to get inside this octagon. And he comes in. Lesnar shoves him. Dana White's in the middle of this. And he can't even take the grin off his face. He's just... Uh, Scrooge McDuck here, just sensing the, the, the money coming in. And then Brock did his interview. He called Francis Ngannou a piece of shit. He called Stipe a piece of shit. And he called Daniel Cormier a piece of shit before saying, I'm coming for you, motherfucker. And I think that Brock Lesnar has been watching some of Chris Jericho's uh, New Japan promos in preparation for this. And... Uh, yeah, it was a big scene to end the show with a big fight that has, you know, the backstory of the two uh, knowing each other for as long as they have. You have the sidebar of Cain Velasquez being a, there with Daniel Cormier, the guy that beat Brock Lesnar for his championship in 2010. Uh, you know, it writes itself. Uh, some people are going to be bent out of shape that Brock's getting a heavyweight title fight, but 
you cannot deny that it's going to be an enormous fight um, and bigger than anything else that they can do presently at the heavyweight division. So, um, yeah, that was the show. I think most are going to just focus on kind of that, that main event and what's coming out of it. But overall, uh, how did you feel about the show as a whole, Phil? I thought it was a good show. Almost all the fights were entertaining, minus that co-main event. Uh, certainly the return of Brock Lesnar is exciting. Uh, the, the news that you just informed me about of him being already in the USADA pool and theoretically being able to make it to Madison Square Garden is exciting. The only caveat to any of that is, is Brock Lesnar going to treat this again like a one-and-done event? And what? how is he going to show up? How is the UFC going to deal with what substances may be in in his body on fight night. Are they going to care or are they just going to let him just go wild? And because ultimately if he, if he gets a, you know, five to $10 million payday and has to pay a $250,000 fine to the New York uh, athletic commission, you know, what, what's to make of that? So, Yes, I'm excited to see Brock Lesnar because he's an exciting fighter and an exciting personality. But you know, we can't get let these people run wild with the with with the drugs, and so there's there's a there's a big cloud over it for me. Yeah, and as well, I mean, worth bringing up is the fact that when you retire, you're supposed to go through six months of testing, and you know, if this report is accurate about him fighting in November, I mean, you can do the math. That is not six months. Now, the UFC can obviously – they have the ability that they can waive that. It's what they did with Brock the last time and received a lot of scrutiny for it, and that was before he failed those drug tests. So I think it would be certainly um, a heavily, heavily criticized tact for the UFC to take a guy who had been suspended and waive that six-month uh, window – that a fighter has to undergo before they fight again, if in fact he is going to be fighting in November as opposed to early 2019, um, and he actually goes through six months of testing. But um, yeah, from the report that Jeremy Botter has put out at Bleacher Report, it's that he quietly re-entered the testing pool uh, several weeks ago and would be fighting the winner of tonight's main event in November at Madison Square Garden. So that looks to be the fight with Cormier and Lesnar uh, to be determined. Uh, Ziggy, any final thoughts on, on the show um, and kind of just uh, coming out of it with this big announcement with Brock Lesnar? Um, I didn't realize that he was like, I guess nobody realized until he actually showed up after the Naganu fight. And I think it was pretty obvious by then um, on that. So, um, you know, like like Phil said, uh, I feel the same way about um, you know Lesnar, and that it's an interesting story. But you know, what are the potential uh, potential backlash from that? So I guess we'll see how it unfolds. And uh, you know, overall, I thought like the prelims and the the card itself, aside from the co-main event, was a pretty good card. All right, that is gonna. Wind things down. I want to thank Phil and Ziggy very much uh, for joining me once again this month uh, as we tackled uh, UFC 226. Uh, hopefully they will be back in, in the near future. So, guys, uh, thank you very much for staying up late with me and uh, chatting uh, sometimes twice about some of these fights. <laughs> it's our pleasure. Thank you very much, John. I All love right. it. Uh, that is it thank for us. Thank you very much, John. 
I loved it. <laughs> you can go to postwrestling.com. Uh, we have another show up on the Post Wrestling Cafe with Way running down the New Japan card from the Cow Palace. And we are going to be back on Monday night with Rewind to Raw. So we will chat with you then. Good night and goodbye.